Hash House and Circle Up. Welcome to On On, the Hash House Harrier podcast for interviews, history, and stories. I'm your host, Ra. There are a few hashers in the world named Rambo, and we've got one of them today on the podcast. This Rambo is an American, very well-traveled, still traveling and hashing all over the world. Welcome. Thank you very much, and on, on. Rambo, tell everybody when and where and how you started hashing. So I started hashing almost exactly 38 years ago. <laughs> so it was in summer of 1983. I was living in Colombo, Sri Lanka. I'd been a soccer player in, in college and had played some amateur soccer after that. So I sought out a soccer team to play on when I first arrived in Sri Lanka. And there was a league or a team for expatriates, basically. They said, you're good enough to be on our team, join. And it turned out that some of the people that played on that soccer team were also hashers. So they said, we also do this one day a week. Why don't you come and try this as well? And that's how I got started with hashing through the expat soccer team in Colombo, Sri Lanka. Any memories from your first hashing trail? Yeah, some. I remember that the person who actually invited me was a guy named Peter Ridley, who was a Brit who was a golf pro living in Sri Lanka. After that event, I said, but you went all through those farmers' rice paddies. You, you trampled all over their crops. Why would this be a fun thing to do? At that point, I had never even heard of hashing. It wasn't just that it was my first time. It was a new concept to me. Right. So it sounded like, hey, let's have honkies and foreigners trample the <laughs> hard-earned crops of local Sri Lankans. This is how we get our fun. So my first impression was not a positive one, except that I liked being out in the in the wild, if you will. Right. Did you get your hash name there in Colombo? No, that was an all men's hash on sort of original mother hash rules with no hash names. So I didn't get named until I moved three years later from Sri Lanka to Ivory Coast when I was hashing with the Abidjan hash. You know, normal rules are you have to participate in five or 10 or something hashes, and then you'll set one. And after you have finally haired, you get named. And so that was the case. And I set this trail in a zoo, but it was a zoo where the humans are the ones who are behind the bars and the animals run free. But <laughs> I set the trail in the part of the zoo where the animals were. So in effect, we were not protected from the animals. We could have been attacked by and eaten by the animals. And that seemed gutsy enough to the powers that be, the mismanagement that they gave me the name Rambo. And no one did get eaten on that trip? No one got eaten. We lived to tell the tale. All right, let's do a quick rundown because you've had these exotic to almost everyone, even no matter where they've been. Where is the rundown of your main stations in hashing? After Colombo and Cote d'Ivoire, were there any others in not where you're at? Non-English speaking hashes along the way too. Let's just talk. Non-English speaking, uh, meaning that the language of the circle, for instance, was not English. Yes. So a bit later on, maybe three hashes later, after Abidjan, it was the Hamna hash in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. After that came the Dakar hash in Senegal, where I was the RA. Then I founded the Bamako hash in Mali. 
Now there is not, at the time, this was 1988-89, there was not a large English-speaking community in this former French colony. So we had a whole lot of French speakers. So though right. the hash was founded by someone who was Anglophone, myself, I would say two-thirds of our members or three-quarters of our members were primarily French-speaking. So that was certainly a bilingual hash where we would sing songs and conduct the business of the circle in English and French. Not quite a foreign speaking hash, but it was certainly a bilingual one. All right. Where after that, where were your main stations after that? Were you so after Bamako, I came to the U.S. I took a position as a professor at the University of Virginia and co-founded with a guy named Bush Lapper, the Charlottesville hash in Charlottesville, Virginia. So I was there for a number of years, guiding and nursing a new hash along at a time when there weren't very many others who were willing to hair. So the, the two co-founders did a lot of the early hairing. So I was there for a while. Then I went back overseas. Maputo hash in Mozambique. I did three different hashes, uh, Apapa, Acacia, and Lagos in Nigeria. The Hanoi hash in Vietnam, that's, we're up to 1999 now. Almost halfway. Wagadugu hash. So I was in the Wagadugu hash from 2000 to 2002. Not everybody knows and, where that, that what that is the capital of. Okay, Wagadugu is the capital of Burkina Faso in West Africa. Yeah, so then I was with the Aarhus hash in Denmark. So I wasn't actually part of mismanagement, but we hosted Eurohash, and I was part of the mismanagement of Eurohash when Aarhus hosted it. So I did have kind of a role there. Then from there, I went to Iraq and I was the RA of the Baghdad hash to South Sudan, where I was with the Juba hash. So what Juba was a very, uh, this was a new, new hash and a new country. It was still the autonomous region of Southern Sudan, part of overall Sudan. It hadn't yet gotten its independence. Since we were living in trailers in the dusty outpost in Southern Sudan, we got an R&R every third week, I think, to go to either Kenya or Uganda. So I was a regular with the Kampala and the two, at the time, the two Nairobi Kenya hashes, but I wasn't actually members. Or maybe you could say I was a member, but I was really a member of Juba who visited frequently with Kampala and Nairobi. Then in 2008, I moved to Kigali, Rwanda. So I've been the RA there for about five years and then the GM there for about five years. So I've had a long period in Kigali with positions of management and bringing in members and being part of the administration for a long time. Went back to Nigeria for a year and rejoined the hashes I had been part of in 1999 and then came back to Rwanda after a little stay about a year in the U.S. back with the Harlotsville hash in Charlottesville, Virginia. So that's more or less the tour. A bunch of Asia. Well, I was a visiting professor in Indonesia. So while I was there, I was hashing with the Jakarta men's hash. A bunch of Asia, a bunch of Africa, a bunch of Middle East, a little bit of Europe, and a lot of hashes done in the United States, but mostly from my base of operations in Virginia as a founder and member of the Charlottesville hash. Wow, that's a great story. It's so just personally, I've, I think I've just missed you in Juba right before South Sudan became a country. I would for a little while in Baghdad. We've been we've been crisscrossing, ne almost never at the same time, missing by a week in Kigali, and we have hashed together in Alabama. Yep. <laughs> 
And I think uh, with a Hobtown hash at some point, I, I know I've seen you in Toronto, but I'm not sure we hashed together there, but I think we must have. Probably. So I was Let's... married to a Canadian. Uh, this end up, that was her hash name. And I'm now a Canadian, so I'm a double, dual national. And I have a presence. I won't say a home. Yeah, maybe it's a home. I have a, an address in in Canada. And as I emailed you recently, I'm about to retire to New Brunswick. Oh, well, that's a, quite a story. So ballpark, any idea on how many trails you've been on? Well, in 1998, I was awarded some award called the triple 100 where i had been a visitor at 100 hashes outside the u.s 100 hashes inside the u.s and had haired 100 hashes that was in 98 and around that time i already had a thousand hashes maybe 1600 or something like that yeah on on your on your way to 2000 or close right cool mismanagement with lots of moving around Men's hashes, mixed hashes. Have you ever warmed your way onto an all-women's hash in your travels? The rules of the Indonesia hashing world and of the Vietnam hashing world were that the, the women's hashes would have male members, but no man could be a, a front-running bastard. Mm-hmm. And I think no man was allowed to hair. So I've been... Uh, a regular, I guess you could even say members of the women's hash in both Jakarta and Hanoi, but not part of mismanagement or anything, but regulars and supported them. So those are the two women's hashes I've been involved with. I will mention there has been a, a roaming hash that was called the internet hash, which was basically founded by people from the Philly hash who, I don't know if they were disgruntled or just wanted to do more hashing, But we would, at the early days of the internet, this is sort of 1991-ish, when there wasn't even a graphic user interface anywhere. So on a Usenet group or something, they would say, our next trail is going to be here. And we would go to a place where there was no hashing being done, and we would hash. So not only women's hashes, men's hashes, and mixed hashes, but internet hashes. I should mention the Naked City hash, which only happens once a year, the first weekend of July kind of hosted by the Chicago hash, but it takes place at a nudist resort in Indiana. So I'm a regular and have been a part of that for many years as well. We're talking today with you in Kigali, Rwanda, and that is your latest place and actually the place that you've lived the longest. Is that it for hashing? Yeah. And what's the Kigali hash like? So its demographics have changed. I'd say that it's now about 75% Rwandans and 25% expats. It used to be closer to 50%, 50%. And that change in demographics has resulted in some changes in how we do our trails because fewer of the locals are wealthy enough to own cars. So we don't leave the city limits as much as we used to when we would convoy out of the city in the cars owned by the expats. So we could go further into the bush and do what I consider to be far more interesting hashes than the ones we do now. Right. Also, because of those changes in demographics, we virtually never set from anybody's house anymore. It's always from a bar. Mm-hmm. And it used to be a nice event to go to the home of somebody and have them do a barbecue or do some kind of a 
chili in their backyard. That really never happens anymore because right. of the change in the demographics. Also, I would say the demographics have changed where the the number of local, meaning Rwandan women, who are trying to find foreign husbands and foreign passports to get out of Rwanda used to be very small. That's now a statistically significant percentage. Of <laughs> Maybe we need a hashing term for that kind of hashing. I don't know what it would be. Yeah, a hash hunter. Yeah. Gold digger. Gold digger. <laughs> they already have the term. There you go. Well, many people are familiar with Rwanda's historic past and Meal de Colleen, Hotel Rwanda. That place is hilly. Very there are no there are no flat running or no flat hashes if you go to join Kigali Hash, right? Correct. And the capital, I mean, just for people who are familiar, say, with Denver, which is at around, I know they call it the Mile High City, so it must be about 5,000 feet. Kigali is at about 6,000 feet. So when you come as a visitor, unless you're coming from a place which is already at high elevation, you're going to take a while to acclimatize to what those of us who are full-timers here are already comfortable in, in terms of thinner air and being at a higher elevation. It's it's not a hash for the faint of heart if you are used <laughs> to sea level hashing. Your other travel hash, apart from where you've traveled to be a hasher, what about events and places you've traveled just for hashing? Events. Inner hashes, America hashes. Uh, so I, I mean, I, I guess I've slowed down on that a bit, but I've been pretty much anything that one can do. I mean, whether it's an inter-Scandi, whether it's a Pan-Africa, whether it's the, the Diamond Jubilee hash of the mother hash in 98, the 60th anniversary, the America's Inner hash, I've been to a bunch of those. And then I like the smaller events because I feel that you get to know people better instead of just running into people who you have seen in the past and they go, Oh, what are you doing? And then before you can even answer, they're saying hello to somebody else and you don't really get to connect in depth. So, you know, something like the North Carolina, South Carolina intercourse, that kind of an event, those sort of smaller events that might have 60 people. I mm -hmm. like those. And I still go to a lot of those when I can. Yeah. How many other Rambos have you met? Do you know the other Rambos of hashing? If you can imagine, there's actually another one in the Harlotsville hash in Charlottesville, oh Virginia. And wow. his first name is the same as my first name. Oh my. So there's a lot of opportunity for confusion there. So that's a second one. There's one in, yeah, Thailand has one. Then there's one who I met in Australia in Brisbane, I think. Yeah. And London has one who's been hashing with West London since early 90s too. All right. So what about you as you start these hashes? And some of them were early in the, as you moved around there earlier in hashing. How did you approach bringing hash traditions and establishing hash traditions in a new club? If you have people who have hashed somewhere else and are just waiting for someone to organize, it's very different from if you're taking virgins who have never hashed anywhere for scratching their head saying, what is this concept of laying flour or shredded paper on the ground and running through the swamps? Mm -hmm. So if I'm a founder of a hash that has other uh, veterans as members, which was the case in Charlottesville, there you're not introducing too many new traditions. You're making sure that you're being consistent with the traditions that they will already know, whether it's uh, a toilet seat around the neck or uh, 
for a down down and whether it's singing particular songs and giving hash names and after how many runs do you name somebody, those kinds of things, they'll be expecting a certain kind of procedures to be followed. Mm -hmm. But in Bamako, when I was the founder of that one, it was mostly people who had never hashed before. I think we had one guy from the uh, Freetown hash in Sierra Leone or something, and that was it. All of our core group of founders were new to hashing. So that gave greater latitude for doing what it would take to get the numbers up and to get a critical mass. So if it meant that you sing some songs from the French Foreign Legion, that's what you do. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, what, what is it about hashing over these 38 years, either how you describe it or what are the key essential values or elements of it that are important to you? I think I'm actually quite different from most hashers in that I'm not an alcohol drinker at all. And people say, how can you have been almost 40 years hashing and not be a drinker? Okay, I am. And uh, <laughs> maybe I have a strong enough personality that my no means no. I mean, a couple of times I've been in those boat races where I've had to take one for the team and chug my beer in order to complete the boat race. But aside from that, I haven't been a drinker. So people who say, oh, I really like the drinking afterwards, or I like that socializing and the conviviality or getting drunk with my buds is the best part. That's not what I look for. Right. I'm former U.S. Army Special Forces. I'm somebody who loves swamps and likes to find trail and hack a trail out with a machete. So for me, scouting and then doing a trail that isn't even long, but is befuddling and wondrous is my greatest pleasure. <laughs> right. That's cool. You got 38 years of stories, but any jump to your mind where things went wrong or the officials came and things nearly went or did go? Balls up. Juba, which I mentioned, I've been a member of the Juba hash, uh, was in a sort of immediate post-conflict mode. So they had been in a state of civil war. The war had ended, but all of the mine, the landmines were still present. And the way we would hash in the time that I was living there is you would first have to go to the United Nations mine removal team. So part of the UN uh, delegation that was peacekeeping in Juba was responsible for clearing mines. In, in our case, there were Norwegians and Bangladeshis. So you'd have to go to one of those two and say, here's where I want to go two weeks from now. Can you sweep the mines there and, <laughs> and give us kind of the green light that it'll be okay to hash there? You have to believe that those UN people weren't drunk when they were doing their landmine clearing <laughs> and that they got all the landmine. And then you have to make sure that when you do your trail, which started, if I remember, at 6 or 6.30, so you had to have a trail that wouldn't last more than an hour. Otherwise, it was too dark to see the marks and right. people would wander. And this is what happened to me. People wandered out of the lanes that had been cleared into landmine territory. So mm. there were no fatalities, but we had some search parties out and people trying to go out and blow whistles to get them back into the lane. So I have had those problems. Well, you've been in and hashing in all the different places around the world. Each place is unique and interesting. One place that we both hash that is kind of unusual is in Baghdad. 
What was hashing yeah. like in the green zone or in the red zone? Always in the green zone. And if you've been hashing for a while there, there's pretty much no place you haven't hashed. <laughs> so it's boring in that you're not hitting new terrain. And as a hare and as a participant, I like to always open up new territory that people haven't seen before. That really wasn't possible within the confines of the green zone. And, and for your viewers or listeners, the green zone is the area which was in the center of Baghdad, which was basically first secured by coalition forces and contained the US embassy and the headquarters of most of the coalition forces. So it was very secure, but also very uh, limited in terms of freedom of movement because of checkpoints and guards and barbed wire and buildings that still had live ordinance that were off limits and things like that. So just for your listeners, that's what the green zone is. It's big enough that you can still be a bit creative, but if you've been in that country a year hashing every week, you've been to every interesting place there is to go in that green zone. Yeah, I was there for you know matters of weeks or months. When I was there, occasionally security would get a little bit more excited. So what I had everybody do at every check was stand in groups of five. I said, we don't have to count off or anything, but there was concern that everybody would make it back sometimes as the security level. So I just said, stand in groups of five, we'll take a quick count and go. I think maybe one of my most stressful or uh, memorable in a negative sense hashes was right in Canada. So this is with the Sarnia hash and the trail went from the US through the rail tunnel that goes across to Windsor in Detroit. No, it wasn't a Sarnia, it was a Detroit Ann Arbor hash. That's what right. it was, Yeah. sorry. And so it went across to Windsor from Detroit through the rail tunnel, which of course is totally illegal and you're not supposed to go and they've got <laughs> sensors for humans that go into that tunnel. You know, the, the idea wasn't to go to Canada. The idea was to come up in a manhole cover halfway through, check back and go back to the U.S. side. But we were met by not even Detroit police, but by Customs and Immigration Border Police. I had to identify myself as the leader. And they're saying, all right, and who are these other people with you? Well, here's Booger Eater and Fart Boy. And, I mean, I didn't know anybody's names. We got severely reprimanded but avoided incarceration nice well okay so you're traveling on the verge of real retirement maybe again but what about hash gear do you pack with you hash shirts and do you still collect them and patches and things uh i'm not a patch collector meaning that i i have to have a, a happy coat filled with patches you've maybe seen my u.s army pilot's bag that was full of yeah. patches front and back yeah it's filled up and after that i just sort of said okay no need to get any more patches i've got my street cred these patches go back to i think 87 is my earliest one which was an america's inner hash philadelphia patch so i think there might not have even been an embroidered patch made for that i think what i did is i cut the logo out of my t-shirt from that uh, and uh -huh. put it onto my bag Wow, but I've nice. got a bunch of patches. I don't care about them. And I've got more t-shirts than I know what to do with. So I don't care about them. I do keep my eyes open for interesting hash 
swaths. If there's stuff that, you know, maybe a, a, a net bag that will breathe and not let my funky gear stay stinky, something like that, that somehow has hash logos on it. That's nice. And I'm interested in things like that. I, as you know, I've always been a hash headband wearer. Right. Yep. Rambo in the Rambo movies wore a headband. So that's my hallmark. So I like to, for other hashes, headbands, they don't come in very many flavors. People mm -hmm. seem to go after, you know, shorts or socks or t-shirts, of course, but not so many headbands. So I've got maybe 10 from other hashes, but I wouldn't say I've got a huge collection, but I like them when I see them. What I do carry with me when I go from place to place traveling for a hash is always my neck lanyard or whatever you call it that's that's got a bunch of on on feet with a whistle and maybe three or four of the or something that they tend to give out tags yeah tags the tags so the toe tags but mine are, mine are bigger than toe tags so some of the ones i've kept are ones that you can read from a distance because they give me bragging rights so the one from america's inner hash in orlando for instance is a big diamond one with white letters and black background so i keep that one in a couple I, I think i have three or four on my chain so that always goes with me and then two headbands in case i forget one i always have a, a second set of headband whistle and chain in case i'm bringing somebody along because i don't want that person to not be equipped in case they might otherwise get hasheted for the person who sponsored them not having properly geared them up. So I bring a second set of gear with me always. Wow. Yeah. That sounds like a special forces preparation approach. <laughs> Let's, I want to talk to you about people you met as starting way back in the early eighties. I started uh, just after you, there was a generation of hashers, uh, a second generation of hashers, even that started before you have you met and, recall any of the early hashers from those days that may or may not still be with us that made an impression two who i wouldn't even say are second generation but first or close to first would be ian cumming and tumbling bill panton right so those two i knew i think they qualify as first generation yeah having run with mother hash yeah i i looked at the link you sent me to your podcasts and some of the people who were displayed there. Mm -hmm. Some of them have the number of years they've been hashing next to their names. And I'm realizing, yeah, I remember urine from Cyprus from the inner hash there. Yeah. I remember music very well because back in the early days of my hashing in the U S which would have started in 91, as I mentioned earlier, there was not the internet as we know it today. There was no go to the hash. There was no hash space. There was none of this. There right. was a Usenet group called, I don't know, Hashing or something. Hashel. <laughs> Hashel, exactly, a Hashel. And so you, you would do your little chatting on Hashel. Some of the people who were active along with me there, I can say for sure, though we didn't hash physically very often, we would go to the America's Inner Hash events and some of the regional events, and I saw some of those names, and I know a lot of those people. I mean, of course, people who are from the Northeast, I particularly know. So the mm -hmm. Hazukashi, you know, had come from Fort Eustis, which is down the road from Harlottsville. So I knew him back when he was still in the Marine Corps in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Watergate was on your list. Gopher was on your list. Piggies was on your list. These are all Virginia hashers. So they're long, long-standing hashers who I know very well. 
there are others who maybe not so many of the international ones, although I saw Garfield on the list. He used to be my boss in Iraq. I know him. <laughs> he was the deputy director of USAID. And yeah. I was the head of one of the provincial reconstruction teams, which came under USAID's umbrella. We were in Baghdad at the same time. We were in Iraq at the same time. I know I crossed paths with you, or you were there away from Baghdad when I yeah, was I did in, three tours in Iraq. So the I first did, one was in 1991 during the first Gulf War when I was still a soldier. Mm. And there I was up in Kurdistan with special forces. Second time... I was with the oil for food program in the basement of the convention center, living in the red zone. The third time was when I was in Diyala. And after Diyala, I was on the Taji, uh, the base that the Americans had taken over from the Iraqis, invaded and seized, I guess. I was in Kuwait before the war. And then I didn't go to Iraq till after things were sort of calming down in 2000. Six, and then I went back in nine, 13, in the red zone, the green zone. Yeah, okay. After Garfield had come back, he had an accident with an IED. He left and came back, and I saw him just for a short while. He was in and out there. Have you ever gotten yourself hurt on a trail or lost and spent a night? Or? I set a trail for the Ikeja hash, which is one of the three main hashes in Lagos, Nigeria. So I had, as I mentioned, been a member going back to 1999. I left the country and they did a second tour in Nigeria in 2015. So I rejoined my old hash. So I was with the Lagos hash, the Ikeja hash, and the Apapa hash. But my real home hash in Nigeria is Ikeja. So I was setting a trail right before leaving the country for good. So it would have been mid-July of 2015. It was through a really nasty sort of sewer swamp. You know, there are swamps that are basically meant just for crocodiles and mud. And then there are swamps that are made of human refuse and feces and maybe dead bodies. So this was one of those swamps. And there was a board, you know, submerged under this dark, murky water that had a nail sticking in it. So my foot went through the nail and the nail went from bottom through to top. So it went all the way through my foot. Ah, yeah. It's really fetid, nasty water. But I always set my trails alone. That's another hallmark of a Rambo trail. So I'm an hour and a half into this sewer swamp with my foot getting tomain or whatever poisoning I'm getting. And it makes more sense to just keep going than to stop. You know, it's hurting like hell. It's getting infected and swollen and all this stuff. So only when I finished setting did I go to the hospital to get my tetanus shots. And that was, you know, not the same as, you know, breaking two legs, but it was an injury on trail that was very painful. And kudos from the crowd for actually turning right around with the wrapped up foot and then running the trail with the pack <laughs> four or five hours later. Yikes. Wow. Have you designed... Among with all these things, have you done T-shirt designs for sure? The motto of the Harlotsville hash in Charlottesville, Virginia, is hash with a harlot, and the artwork for the harlot is taken from Jessica Rabbit, with yep. uh, wearing uh, running shoes. So if you can imagine what Jessica Rabbit, the cartoon character from Bugs Bunny, looks like in running shoes, that's the I don't know what you want to call it the artwork of the Harlotsville hash. I designed that with the 
rotunda of the University of Virginia, which is kind of an iconic building with the white columns going back to 1807. The University of Virginia rotunda with Jessica Rabbit in running shoes is the logo of that hash, and I designed the logo, and many of our subsequent t-shirts contain that logo. So yeah. that's the only artwork for which I've been responsible. Cool. So over this 38 years now, and you've seen a lot of clubs, a lot of versions of clubs, but have you been able to see, has there been change in the hash over these decades? Sure, definitely. The whole idea of, you were mentioning patches, collecting patches was never a big thing in the past, maybe collecting t-shirts, but patches came later and having a, a happy coat on which to display one's patches goes back, I think, to Okinawa. Mm -hmm. And they had that as kind of their tradition. But when Okinawa veterans spread elsewhere and took hashing with them, I think they brought that habit along. And that gave you a lot more surface area for your patches. So the collecting of patches and wanting hashes, patches, I think, is something that is relatively new. People who've been hashing 10 years or less think that that's always been a thing, but it hasn't. And so that I'd say is one thing that's, that's changed. The, the, the way that people communicate, whether it's for an actual hash, which is now done with a WhatsApp group by and large, which used to be done on hash L or a mimeograph on a wall of an embassy. Now the embassies are behind three steel levels of barbed wire and- right. Concertina, you can't get to a bulletin board at a embassy like you used to be able to and find the mimeographed newsletter of the embassy telling you where the next hash will be. So the way the word gets out of where a hash will be located has definitely changed. I think that the ability to take a cell phone on a trail and say, hey, here, I'm Joe and I'm lost and I'm this is the landmark. Can you help me get back? Or I'm by myself. It is now dark. Can somebody come out and get me? I'm in this swamp alone. I think that technology through cell phones has made for fewer spending of the night in the jungle disasters compared <laughs> to what I remember back in the early Sri Lanka days, for sure. Yeah. I, I'm not trying to make this into a negative question, but have you turned up on a hash somewhere or seen behavior or traditions that said, whoa, glad I'm not doing this one all the time. Is there things that you could do without that you've ever seen a club try or a group do? Condoning, I won't say encouraging, condoning people too drunk to drive, to drive home. I've seen and I don't condone. And I happily, I have not been party to an accident as a result of that. But I think that that's irresponsible and uh, better rethought rather than continued and perpetuated. So I've seen plenty of that. I've seen more predatory behavior of men, particularly not accepting a woman's no meaning no than I'm happy with. And I've been, I think, a strong advocate for making sure that a woman's no is respected as a no. And if she's too drunk to know that her no is not being said forcefully enough, then she probably ought to have uh, somebody nearby her to be kind of a, a filter for whatever advances might be coming and might be unwanted. I guess I've, I've been a, a friend in those kinds of situations and I've gotten a reputation for being the person who can break up fights either physically or with persuasion. <laughs> so I've seen 
that side of hashing and not liked it, but I know that it just kind of comes with the territory sometimes. But I think it's important to have somebody who can be uh, a peacemaker. Are, I have a question for you. Are you going to ask about hashes where I've been a visitor and hated it or, or not felt that I was well received? <laughs> so has that happened where you had a poor reception when you turned up at a hash? Yes. And I've told both of those hashes that I would badmouth them until the day I die. So this oh, is my chance. There's your platform. Okay. <laughs> Anchorage and Albuquerque. Okay. Fuck you, you fucking fucks. <laughs> Okay, let's put it. Let's just give it a little. Not everybody who might be there now or was there may not have been that day. What time frame was were the mis hosting of Anchorage and Albuquerque? Okay, so we're talking between ninety one and ninety five in that range. Uh huh. Yeah. Four ninety five. Okay, because there's some hashers in Albuquerque and in Anchorage that weren't even born yet, so we can't have them necessarily taking the blame for that misbehavior i but, agree uh, but uh, i think in, in terms of a lesson learned for other people who are saying what should we avoid doing if we want visitors to feel welcome and yeah. here's somebody who's hashed all over the place and sort of knows a good welcome when he sees one what i'd say is if you tell people this is our hash bar and we'll get some people together to meet you since it's not a hashing night actually show up <laughs> 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 not just so leave a bill there for you to pay yeah that's right you know oh. and and when you show up don't assume that the visitor is impressed with all of your bluster about how your hash is the best hash there is when upon further in investigation it turns out that you've been to all of two or three hashes in the world and the person you're talking to has been to two or three hundred kind of an arrogance that's often misplaced and it doesn't impress at all yeah that's the kind of thing that it, it, it sometimes not a clear line when things switch over from sharing experiences and swapping stories to trying to set one up people and position and stature interesting yeah, well that's I good it's not a long list i would also say that in pre maybe pre-digital days getting directions to people that are precise and accurate so that when they're supposed to start their hash with a visitor, the visitor can actually get there based on the directions that are provided. And if they're provided in a shorthand that only an Albuquerque local would know, that is not helpful to an outsider. Yeah. It's actually pretty good in general with directions. I'm not directionally challenged. Right. Can you think of any stories of when you were visiting a hash and they gave an okay uh, explanation of how to get there? Is a lot of work like that you had to, it took an enormous amount of effort to get to a hash. Is there any, any that come to mind? That has happened a lot, both in the U.S. and in foreign countries. Uh, none is coming to mind. I'm just kind of blanking on specifics, but it definitely has happened where you're actually cutting into the time of trail time, looking for the place, looking for the start. Mm -hmm. And if you're truly a hardcore hasher, you just start looking for the marks from the place when you finally find it and you're behind the pack and you are sprinting to try and catch up to the pack. So I've done that too. It's true. I don't know what percentage of hashers never travel and only ever work with one club, but certainly there are people like that. And there are expats who 
will visit a club in a posting and never visit another club. Just say, oh, I don't know, hashing will never be the same. And you're certainly not like that. You start a hash. If there isn't one, you adapt to them as they're coming. What is a Rambo-led circle like? One of the things that I think I'm pretty good at is remembering people's names so I can personalize the comments that I make if I'm running the circle in a way, even for a first timer, in a way that somebody wouldn't be comfortable doing if they're not remembering the names of all the first timers. Mm -hmm. So I try to abuse first timers to make the thin skinned ones disappear. <laughs> yeah. And, and figure out who has a good enough sense of humor that they'll actually take to hashing because it's not for everyone and people who are too easily offended and off put i try to actually tease that out of people by the way i interrogate them who made you come what do you do for a living and or maybe they're they're wearing some kind of weird shoes and i start talking about how can you come to a hash trail in ballerina slippers and so i'll abuse people a lot <laughs> yeah, well, if they're not going to be hashers, might as well get it over with and get them out of there. Yeah. And I, I am a stickler for having um, hash respect. So people who start private parties get hashited, get brought into the center. I make them drink or do other things that they don't like doing. Uh, people who haven't haired in a long time, unless the reason they haven't haired is because we've forbidden them to because they were such debacles. <laughs> I actually, if it looks like we don't have a good pipeline, I, as the person, as the RA, for instance, running the circle, I'll say, "Hey, you booger, booger, you know, booger eater, you haven't set a trail in six months. You can't just continue to freeload. You're setting next week. Find somebody else to set with you right now. Who's going to volunteer with? I'll, I will volunteer people as a way of making sure we've got a pipeline and that we're getting." representation from everyone without some people overhearing and other people underhearing. Yeah. Are there any places left for you that you want to travel either as a hasher tourist or you'd like to see hash events take place in? Well, I don't know the former Soviet Union states. I've hashed in in Moscow, but I haven't been in, you know, Turkmenistan or Tajikistan or uh, Azerbaijan or Armenia. So I figure there are 13 countries in the former Soviet Union that are now, you know, so sovereign states. Maybe you've hashed in some of them and can tell me, but to me, that's virgin territory for me. I've pretty much hashed everywhere else in the world. So I'm looking to go to those countries if I get a chance to. And as I mentioned to you in an email just earlier today, I'm moving to Moscow in the end of August. So I think I'll have a chance to do some side trips to some of those places. That's great. So when you get to Moscow, do you expect to get back into mismanagement? Is that something you just is in your blood? Um, I've been songmeister of what, one or maybe two hashes. When you know a lot of songs and have a powerful voice, people figure that out very early. And they usually say, oh, this guy's RA material or songmeister material, or let's groom him as assistant songmeister since he doesn't know our traditions yet. I usually find a way into mismanagement through my song repertoire. Mm -hmm. So it, yeah, I could see it happening. It's not as if I need to be a member of mismanagement. I've done it. It's not a big deal if I'm not, especially if things are well run. I don't need to be part of mismanagement. It, it happens a lot because of my song repertoire. Well, there's one particular character I wanted to bring up that you and I both hashed with at an, at an event. Now, this is somebody that 
a lot, some of the people on Hash Al had disagreements with and some of the famous Flame Wars. But you and I were both at a stray dog hosted event. And he is, I don't know if you want to call him a black sheep, a black pariah, a figure, but we had, uh, we had a weekend with Stray Dog. And you get along with everybody. How did you get along with Stray Dog? I get along fine with Stray Dog. But I also understand why some people don't. I think that from the point of view of logistics, he's very good. From the point of view of advertising and getting the word out that he's having an event, he's also very good. Where I think uh, he has rubbed people the wrong way is with trying to create an alternative event to America's inner hash and basically bad-mouthing America's inner hash for its flaws and weaknesses and deficiencies and saying mine will be better because it doesn't do this, doesn't do that. Sometimes that's good and it's the way to get innovation and new blood into a system is to have someone say, that's not working. I think mine will be better. So I'm all for the innovation but I think he's a bit too vocal and too strident in the way he badmouths what it is he's trying to one up or correct or do better than. Mm -hmm. And that creates a lot of animosity, but yeah. the events he puts on, I think are actually excellent events. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I've been, I think to four of his events, Alabama inner hash, stray dog parties and things like this. So not just one, I've got four data points. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe he, hashed with albuquerque when he was <laughs> <laughs> i don't think so who or where or what other stories come to mind that you just want to get in here i'd like to give equal time to the two hashes that i would say are the best hashes in terms of how i've been treated as a visitor mm -hmm. to offset albuquerque and anchorage so the two that i would mention are calgary and warsaw and they are in a world of friendly hashes where the, the visitor is welcome, they are heads and shoulders above even typical hash hospitality. Nice. So I just want to make sure that if anybody from those hashes is listening, that they know how well the reception I received was appreciated and how stellar it was. And nice. I'll just tell a little story about the, Hal the Calgary event because there's more to that than there was to the, the Warsaw. Calgary, I was there on a Halloween hash. They had a hash uh, a guy in their hash whose name was batman and he mm -hmm. was blind oh yeah i know batman so what they would do is they would always say somebody has to be his his eyes and latch onto his arm so i was his eyes so uh it was really something to be with somebody who was friendly and outgoing and a seasoned hasher but couldn't see and me who's never been in Halgar in calgary i was in a city I didn't know at all, <laughs> basically being told where to go by the blind guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Now they put you and, to work. And, and he arranged yeah. to make sure I got laid. So it was excellent in every way. Wow. Wow. That is all-star hash material. Well, maybe people are now hearing this are going to want to invite you and impress you with their how they're going to treat you as a guest. That one. And then Warsaw. Warsaw's tradition, in case you've never hashed in Warsaw. I haven't. Is that their hashes are always um, ending with a barbecue with a bratwurst, a bratwurst barbecue. Nice. So whether it's in a swamp or a forest or whatever, it was a well-done trail that had sort of gourmet on after in the middle of a public park that was kind of a wilderness section of a public park with all of the bratwurst and the grills, snow coming down. It was really nicely done. And I just felt 
very warmly welcomed as a visitor. Well, you're heading to Moscow sometime. Is it this summer? Yeah, in August. Do you expect to make it to Prague for the next Eurohash? I, I hadn't thought about it. Okay. I was just wondering if people wanted to sit, track you down. Uh, you'll be in Moscow, maybe, maybe, maybe not at Eurohash. Okay. Who are some of the personalities, long Kigali hashing personalities you hash with? Uh, Alley Cat's been hashing with us for a long while. G Spot has been a long, a long-standing hasher, but she's not all that articulate. I don't think she's mostly French speaking. I don't think she'd be great for an interview. Crazy Horse, mm-hmm. Alley Cat, G Spot, Chinese it's Chicken. Too. I don't have a guitar with me. I sold my guitar. Oh. So his is the when I when I get the Joneses and I need to play guitar, I go to his house and play his guitar. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, but, but if anybody's coming through Moscow, which people should know is the largest capital city in all of Europe with 12 million people, you know, I, I don't know anything about their hash there these days. I mean, that's where I'll be. Wow. Good stuff. I've got one last question for you, Rambo. Is the RA always right? Of course. <laughs> that's all there is to say about that. That's right. On on, Rambo. On out for now. I want to thank Rambo for coming on the podcast today. This is the On On Podcast. Hasher stories, Hasher voices, Hasher history. New episodes every week. Until next time, On On, this is Ra. To close the circle, here's the Hash Anthem sung by Mother Hash. Swing low, sweet child, coming forth to carry me home. Sweet child.